This is the Talking Hope podcast with New Connections and Loch Hope. Welcome to Talking Hope. I'm Carrie. And I'm Juliet. And we are a podcast from the West Highlands looking at mental health and well-being. What's happening at Loch Hope? So we've got a few exciting events coming up. Um, we've got the Repair Cafe, which is now on the 9th of March, after having to unfortunately cancel the last one because of the weather. Um, so if you had anything ready to bring in, get it back out of the cupboard and bring it down on the 9th. Um, we've also got the Easter market coming up on the 23rd of March. So it's a craft market. So if you're looking to come along or you'd like to have a table, get in touch with Carrie at New Connections. And that's on the 23rd of March. Please do. Um, something else that we're very excited to announce and it ties very closely in with our very special guest today um, is our upcoming autistic women's group. Now that is for anyone over 18 who is women or non-binary who is diagnosed autistic or is awaiting diagnosis for um, autism. So we have already, by the time this is out, had our first meeting and hopefully we will have dates set for upcoming get-togethers. Please have a check on our social media for the details of that. Juliet, would you like to introduce our guest? I would. So we've got Becky with us today. Thank you for joining us, Becky. And Becky's come from Swan, Scotland. So what Swan is, it's an autistic-led Scottish registered charity who aim to improve the lives of autistic women and girls and non-binary individuals. So we're really grateful for your time today, Becky. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Thank you. Thank you very much for the welcome. So um, as you said, my name's Becky. Um, I'm the project lead at um, SWAN. Um, so my role at SWAN is predominantly sort of training and consultancy work. And I also um, lead on our post-diagnosis um, support and wellbeing webinars. Um, so SWAN itself, like you said, is an autistic-led um, charity and it's run for and by autistic women um, and non-binary individuals. And we've been around since uh, 2012, um, so we're just over 10 years old now. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Can you tell us a bit about SWAN and where it all started? Absolutely. So it was founded, um, I guess, at a time when there really wasn't a lot of understanding or information or support um, for autistic women or non-binary individuals or anyone really that sort of sat outside that really stereotypical view of, of what autism looked like. And our founder, Dr. Katrina Stewart, asked the question, sort of, where can we be what we are? And SWAN, from its very beginning, was founded on the idea of creating a space where um, autistic women and girls and non-binary people could come together and share experiences and connect and just have that really safe space to be themselves or even start to explore um, what themselves look like um, and just... Um, share ideas, share learning um, and just um, connect with one another. And it's grown a lot since then and currently we have um, just over a thousand autistic women, girls and non-binary individuals accessing a range of, of groups um, and meetups and, and services across um, Scotland. So Becky, just kind of following up on that, what ways might women experience autism differently from, from men? I guess we'd still tend to see in in the UK that um, 
women and girls are still picked up sort of around 10 to 12 years later within diagnostic services. Um, and that is usually um, not because there is this sort of female autism or an entirely different um, sort of autistic experience. But what we tend to see is when um, our autistic identity and our gender sort of intersects because of the sort of gendered pressures that still exist in our society um, we tend to see a more internalised presentation of autism um, within women and girls and non-binary individuals where we tend to mask, we tend to hide um, more and more of our experiences and we tend to see that um, we find that we use the swan analogy um, quite handily given that we're, we're called swan where we find that autistic women and girls tend to sort of glide along the surface um, uh, of life um, whilst paddling underneath um, really fast just to stay afloat um, and the rest of the world kind of sees them as coping or managing but underneath they're really struggling um, to, to manage um, because what we find is our, our differences in the way that we allocate our attention, our sensory experiences, the way that we communicate, um, all of these things are often really misinterpreted or misunderstood or just dismissed um, by the world around us. And we just grow up feeling like we don't fit in, we don't belong, um, and, and we just feel like everything that we do is just wrong or different. And we just really struggle to find our place in the world. Um, and we don't see ourselves in wider society or often even within much of the autistic community because when you look out on media um, you see you tend to still see white male um, uh, boys when you see autism represented within within the media um, and that is why autistic women and girls often find that they don't see themselves belonging anywhere and why there often is a need for organizations like SWAN to try and represent um, what was years ago quite a hidden population. So the next question I've got for you is what links do you see between women with autism and mental health? I guess if you look at the statistics around um, autistic women and mental health we, we have much uh, higher prevalences or disproportionately high prevalences of, of mental health uh, conditions that coexist with with um, our autistic identity um, very sadly suicide remains one of our biggest killers um, we have um, significantly higher prevalences of uh, depression, anxiety um, and many mental health conditions and there's kind of it is two sides to that not only do our experiences of, of being autistic in the neurotypical world contribute to, to mental health conditions but the inaccessibility of, of services and, and therapies mean that whilst we have higher prevalences of these conditions, we can't, also can't get the supports and, and therapeutic interventions that we need to, to learn how to um, recover and manage these conditions as well. So it's kind of a double-edged uh, double sword. And what barriers might the women you work with be facing? You touched on it slightly there, but would, are there any other barriers um, that you could talk about in terms of accessing mental health supports yeah and diagnosis as well in terms of diagnosis um, a lot of the challenges around are I guess the 
a lot of the diagnosis tools um, and, and training and things like that still is very much based on quite a stereotypical male presentation um, of autism. And there still remains, um, I guess, within even sort of clinical attitudes and things, uh, a lack of understanding around masking and and how uh, autism can present within women and girls and what that might look like. Um, the waiting lists or even the accessibility of, of um, diagnosis, I mean, I mean, that's for both genders is is quite inaccessible for adults in, in all areas. In terms of mental health, um, there are huge gaps in services for autistic adults in terms of, if you think many autistic women and girls struggle with something called alexithymia, which is how we um, under how we portray our own emotions, how we recognise our own emotions, um, and how we um, might communicate those emotions to others which means that if you're accessing sort of therapeutic services and things and you're working with clinicians who might um, misread or misunderstand your emotions, often you can be sort of seen to not be engaging with services, whereas that might actually be a communication um, barrier as opposed to you not engaging with a service. It can be that the clinician's not understanding your communication rather than it not being you engaging with a service. Thank you, Becky. You mentioned um, masking there. Can you tell us a bit about what that what that is? How does that appear? So autistic masking um, is essentially a, a survival strategy that lots of um, autistic people rely on to manage um, the world around them. It comes from a, a comes from the trauma of um, having to survive in, in a neurotypical world, essentially the constant sort of feeling wrong, the constant being rejected, the constant not feeling good enough, or when you express your experiences and people sort of dismiss them or, or give you the idea that, that you don't fit in or you don't belong. And it's the kind of um, subconscious um, taking on of other people's um, ways of living or, or expressions or, or mannerisms or opinions and you sort of layer them up almost to present an acceptable version of yourself. Sounds exhausting. And it's not like, yeah, and it's not like putting on a jumper and, and going out and, and then taking it off when you come home. It's, it's a really deep-rooted trauma response that you don't always do consciously. And it might look like um, suppressing a movement or suppressing pain or... Um, not stimming or hiding a sensory experience, but it might also look like um, agreeing with other people or allowing other people to make decisions for you or being a people pleaser or um, taking risks or um, being the person who drinks most to fit in or um, agreeing to things that you might not necessarily otherwise agree to or the person who helps out with something the most. It's doing anything really to to be accepted or to to have that approval from, from somebody um, and eventually what happens over time is you start to lose all sense of yourself underneath because you start to take on other people's ways of of living and being and just be accepted or to to belong because you have this 
um, sense from a very early age that your own ways of being or your own ways of experiencing the world are so wrong and um, because all you get back from the world is that sense of invalidation whether you have a reason for it or not whether you know you're autistic or not you just get that sense from right from very young when you say that's really noisy or that's painful and you're told that you're dramatic or no one else is making a fuss or sit still you know you don't need to move about that much or um, you can't get down from the table until you've eaten all the stuff on your plate even when you say that you know that food is you know really distressing for me and so you learn from a really really young age that your experience is different to everyone else's so you start to learn how to live through other people's ways of living and so you start to build this mask and um, that connects to the world and your own sense of development your own sense of self kind of stops developing it's such a complex situation to to be in i for one am very very much looking forward to further training with you guys very soon um that will support our, our group it just in the meantime to, to have a bit of a positive um front to things what would you say keeps you going? Um, can you tell us any positive stories or, or coping mechanisms that you could recommend to stay positive? Absolutely. I think the thing that um, has been the, I guess, the biggest change or the biggest positive thing that I learned a few years ago um, for me was about a permission to do things differently. I think as an autistic person learning I think you spend so much of your life and I guess that almost ties into the masking that we were just talking about. You spend so much of your life trying to almost um, be normal or to be like everyone else that actually the most powerful thing you can do is almost that permission to do things differently. And and the the almost the relief and sense of well-being that can come from that when you give yourself the permission to say no when you're exhausted and give yourself that time to to have that downtime without feeling guilty or to spend time doing the things you love like enjoying your special interests to um be 41 and still enjoy the things that give you sensory joy without worrying about people thinking that you are a child for um playing with slime or whatever it is that you still get sensory joy from or love doing disney stuff um as an adult um to embrace stimming to feel okay with the fact that you have the same breakfast every day of the week because that's your safe food um, or to enjoy companionable space with your um, 17 year old of uh, just spending time and it's for me the most powerful positive thing was that permission to do those things and to not um, have to keep trying to to be normal or to keep pushing yourself past that point of um, sort of burnout or exhaustion or um into that kind of feeling mentally unwell because you're constantly trying to be something that you're not constantly trying to fit into neurotypical ways of well-being whereas when you start to look at what is well-being for an autistic person it looks totally different and when you give yourself that permission to look at what does autistic well-being look like then that's that permission is such a relief um, and it's hugely positive. That's so powerful. Thank you so much. So can you tell me a little bit about what projects SWAN has coming up? 
Absolutely, we've got loads coming up. Um, so we have monthly wellbeing webinars. Um, so we have in January, just tomorrow night actually, we have a, a webinar on New Year self-care and winter recovery, um, which all of our webinars are free for um, any uh, autistic uh, women, girls or non-binary individuals. And then in February, we have um, Pete Warmby coming to speak about monotropism. Um, so there on every month, we have Book On To Training, which anyone can book on to. Some of them are open to allies, so family members, carers, supporters can book on to them. Um, so we've got one at the end of January, which is our general training on autistic women and girls. Um, so that's the 29th of January, and that's open for booking just now. We have all of our groups, our meetup groups are open um, and um, we've got further training into the year on sort of autistic experiences, vegan disorders and various other bits and bobs that people can book onto. Best place to find out everything is on our website, which is www.swanscotland.org. It's really easy to remember. Fab. Do you have social media? Oh, we do. Um, we have Facebook and uh, Twitter as well. Brilliant. So if someone wanted to join a webinar or a training, they can just visit your website and they'll be able to find the information that they need there. Absolutely. All the booking links are on, on our websites. Amazing. Um, we also have a mailing list link on the website, which is the easiest way to keep up the dates of things that are happening. Excellent. Thank you. Brilliant. Um, so... What advice do you have for people who might think that they are neurodivergent? I guess I would say that take your time. There's no rush. Um, it's not, if you do decide to go down a formal route of a diagnosis, it's not going to change who you are from one day to the next day. Lots of people um, take it quite a slow journey and that's absolutely fine. Um you don't need to rush into telling people or but find information from the right places. Um, there's a lot of unhelpful information out there. Um, go to the communities themselves. Um, so go to the autistic community, go to the ADHD community, um, go to the communities themselves because that's where you will find um, the right information from people who have that lived experience um, and you will find um, information that is not built on deficits and impairments and is not going to tell you that your life is over um, and will help you um, build that peer support and connections that is so important um, in your journey if you are thinking um, that you might be neurodivergent um, and just take it take your time um, and remember that if you are neurodivergent, you have always been neurodivergent, so you are the same person. Um, it's just it's figuring out what that means for you um, and that it is a, a starting point in terms of thinking how to shape your life differently so that it works for you. Amazing. Thank you so much. So to round us out, um, can you give us your glimmers? What makes you warm and happy inside, Becky? At the moment, um, spending time with my 17-year-old um penguins um <laughs> got a bit of a thing about penguins at the moment we went to the zoo um at the weekend and i got to see the penguins so got a bit of a thing about penguins oh, um, brilliant what about you so, yeah. 
do you know, weirdly, a lot of people really dislike it, but we're moving house and I actually really like it because it makes you declutter. Thank goodness. <laughs> declutter. I do love decluttering. That is a glimmer. Like every time you get rid of a bag of stuff, you're like, oh, yes. <laughs> One person's glimmer is another's trigger. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, my glimmer for this month is crochet. I've just picked it up and it is keeping my hands busy, busy and shutting my brain up for a bit, which is always good. Um, so that is us so thank you very much Becky for coming and speaking to us from Swan um, and thank you guys for joining us for our second episode of Talking Hope we're very much looking forward to welcoming Change Mental Health to our next episode so join us then that will be out at the end of March and Juliet if we want to reach out or find anything more about you where so, can we do that? Yeah, in the meantime, if you'd like to follow us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, and that's at Lacaba Hope Fort William, um, and at New Connections Lacaba. So, you can also sign up to our newsletter on our website and find out everything that's going on at lacabahope.org.uk. Um, and once again, just a reminder for Swan's website: www.swanscotland.org. <laughs>